You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Today's text. Good morning. Thank you, Ricky, for that. Wonderful worship together. We'll be reading out of Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. So it's page 7 in the chairback Bible in front of you if, you if you need that. Please follow along. Bear with me. I don't use all these words every day. <laughs> in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Ketelamar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Ad- Adma, Shemeber, king of Zobiam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Ketelamar, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketelamar. And the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzim and Ham, the Emem and Shavath, Kiriathim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites, who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zobiam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Ketelamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elazar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, Some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. God, it restores our soul. It gives light to the eyes. It makes the, wise, it makes the simple wise. God, I pray that you would use this word. Um, as it's taught, your spirit would illumine it to our minds and our hearts, and we would be ready and willing to obey to the praise of your glorious grace and to our good. Jesus, we are grateful for your sacrifice on our behalf. Make this word come to life for us. 
Amen. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for being with us this morning. Um, you may have expected Jeremy, and I think Pastor Jeremy was hoping to be here too. He, uh, as you probably know, tested positive for COVID on Monday, but he was feeling better by Wednesday and had expected to be able to preach. But um, the time didn't seem right now because he feels like he should be home with his family instead. So I am preaching this morning, and I, I would like to give you a couple of notes first. Um, you might have noticed I'm preaching with a mask. Uh, hard not to notice. Um, this is what our 8 o'clock service will look like starting next week. I'm jumping the gun just a little bit because I was exposed, I think, probably this week. And so I'm taking the necessary precautions. But it gives us a week of practice to see how this works. Now, a couple of other notes. I am actually continuing in Genesis 14, doing the sermon that Jeremy was going to do, and actually doing the sermon that Jeremy wrote. So if you think it's a good sermon, um, all credit to Jeremy, he did the work, he did the research on it. Uh, the one thing that I can't do, and that he didn't leave me, was his delivery. Um, when it comes to delivery, I'm kind of the anti-Jeremy. Um, he commands your attention. I am more likely to send you thank you notes. Um, so I, I know that the, I don't have that delivery. The mask is a barrier, but please hang with me. And we're going to start the sermon now. I, this is going to be mainly Jeremy's sermon. I uh, have tampered with the introduction a little bit because I needed to. Um, but what I'd like to talk about for just a moment is fear, because fear is a big topic today. Um, do you have a phobia? I, th I think most people do. Um, have something that just scares you to death. And you can't help it, and it'll probably be that way for the rest of your life. Um, I have one, and I'll reveal it to you knowing that you would never use it against me, um, but it has to do with heights. And it's not the classic fear of heights that most people have. I thought I might be afraid of heights myself, but then I discovered I wasn't one day when a neighbor down the block, who I didn't even know, uh, saw what I was doing and came over and told me to stop. Uh, at the moment, I was on my tiptoes uh, on a fully extended ladder that was balanced against the damaged tree branch. Um, I've since gotten more mature, and I don't do those things anymore. Uh, here's what my fear of heights is. My fear of heights is if I see you doing that, anybody standing on any height at all scares me to death. If you're to go to the top of the Liberty Memorial and lean over the edge, I would not be able to look, and I would probably not be able to uh, breathe. My heart would just stop. Uh, unfortunately, I grew up with two evil stepbrothers. Um, they weren't really stepbrothers, but they, they were brothers, but they didn't deserve to be. Um, they knew my every weakness, and so if we went on a hike, they would find the cliff that is 30 feet over a rushing mountain river, and they would stand on it until I almost passed out because I couldn't breathe. 
Uh, it was a form of torture without leaving any marks, and they knew exactly what they were doing. So the reason why I'm talking to you about phobias is because a large part of our sermon today has to do with fear, and I'd like to, you to get in touch a little bit just with what fear feels like, because it's important today. I also want to um, talk a little bit about kings and kingdoms, and um, if I were to say the word kingdom, you would probably, if you did word association, think England, uh, which is what I would do too. Uh, we're talking about different kinds of kingdoms today in the text. Uh, back then, they didn't even have the concept of a country. It was more nations, regions. Uh, so kingdoms could be big, they could be small. Um, there were many kings. That's why we see so many in the text today. Uh, and we're going to meet quite a few of them. Um, as you heard Chris read those, uh, they're not New Testament names. They're very difficult to read. And all credit to, to Chris for doing it. I'm going to try to find a way of, to weasel out of having to read all of that section myself now that he's done it. But there is one name that um, we need to come back to, and that's the chief king. His name was Cheddar Loimer. And in his, in his sermon, Pastor Jeremy just shortened it to King Cheddar, so that's what I'll do too, because uh, he gave me permission, basically. Now, what King Cheddar did was he was the most powerful king, and the other kings all paid tribute to him, which is kind of like taxation that they paid for his protection. And this worked for 12 years, the text says. And in year 13, five of those kings rebelled. And if you've ever watched a gangster movie, you know that the top gangster, King Cheddar, you can't let something like that go. Because if five kings rebel, well, then so will everybody else. So he gathered three of his allies, allied kingdoms, and he went after them. And this allied army of four kingdoms was powerful enough, it says in the beginning of Genesis 14, that they took out six kingdoms just on their way to reach the rebels. They just rolled over them all. They were on their way to a battlefield, which was in Abram's backyard. So imagine, if you can, the kind of fear that you would feel if you were in the way of these allied armies, uh, the kingdoms that got taken out, the rebels who were going to get taken out, or Abram and Lot, who the battlefield was in their neighborhood. This was a very scary time for them. And a few of us have fears that could quite compare to what people back then were feeling with these allied armies approaching. We have two big ideas today. One is that fear can be overwhelming in the face of powerful forces. And the second is that God's promises overwhelm all fears, all forces. So do take a look at Genesis 14, and we'll uh, try to summarize a little bit. The first big idea is that fears can be overwhelming. 
And here we're going to see the opening of the war. It's kind of like a world war in a way. There are so many different kingdoms involved. It's the first war that's mentioned in Genesis. And King Cheddar and his allies, they actually are from uh, a lot of geography they control. He himself is from what would be modern Iraq. Two of his allies are from um, Turkey, and the fourth is from what's ancient Babylon today. And they're heading toward the Valley of Siddim, which it says is near the, the text says it's near the Salt Sea, which is what we call the Dead Sea. And if we could just throw up a map, just to give you kind of a sense, and it's, it's really hard for you to see that, I know. But um, there are some place names on there that we know that correspond here. And the main, the main thing that you need to know is that the four allied armies, King Cheddar and his allies, were moving from the north down to the south. And on the way, that's where they take out six kingdoms just because they can. Um, and we're going to do just a little bit of a sidebar story here because it's very interesting. Um, there's a name that you might have heard before if you're a real Old Testament scholar, and that's the Rephaim. And in verse 5, it says that, um, they, that the four allied kingdoms, they defeated the Rephaim on their way down south. So who are the Rephaim? We get a little sense of it if we look at Deuteronomy 2. Yeah, verse 10. The Emim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and as tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they also are counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites called them Emim. So this is a story about uh, the, pro the promised land, that's ahead. The Anakim, that may seem like a, a little bit of a familiar name, the sons of Anak. Goliath was a son of Anak. He was a giant. And the verse tells us that the Rephaim were like the Anakim. They were tall and they were scary. That's the point. Now, um, I'm relatively, proportionately in modern day, tall. I've never been scary, even when I wanted to be. Nobody's scared of me. But this is a different kind of tall that we're talking about back then. We're talking about Goliath tall. We're talking about, if you can imagine yourself in this kind of a place, uh, you go to play Friday night hoops at the park, and you get there and there's an NBA team that you're faced up against. You really don't have a chance and that's what the Israelites, scouts, who went into the promised land thought. That's what they saw. A huge, tall people, people like the Rephaim, and they came back scared to death. And because of their fear, Israel rebelled against God's will, and they were consigned to wander 40 years in the wilderness because of it. Now what's interesting is that probably Moses wrote Genesis, wrote this passage in Genesis 14 while they were wandering in the wilderness. And the Israelites heard this story and thought about the Rephaim, and it would have hit them hard. They would have thought, 
You mean these allied kings were strong enough that they just rolled right over the Rephaim without thinking, and when they didn't even need to? It would have impressed them. And now, let's go to a real brief account of what this First World War was like. Uh, we're going to read starting in verse 10 through 12. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Well, the battle went very, very badly. Um, they, do you know what bitumen pits are? I didn't, I had to look it up. Um, think tar, think asphalt, that's what it is. Has anybody ever been to uh, the La Brea tar pits in LA? If, if you ever get the chance, you should go because there's a really fascinating museum there. And a tar pit is not something that you want to fall into because you're not gonna come out. Um, others fled and Lot got taken. Uh, why was Lot and other people taken? Um, probably, most probably, to be slaves or to be sold into slavery, which is a terrible fate and a, a very short, brutal life. So if you're Lot, you're terrified both before the Allied kings arrive and after. Now, here's our first application for today. We need to admit that we live in a world of powerful forces, just like Lot and Abram. Um, and I just want to stop for a moment and share a pet peeve of my own, which is something that you've probably heard in movies before. Usually it's success stories. And somebody says, if you dream big enough, you can do it. Or you can do anything that you try hard enough to do. Which actually is just not true. It's not true. It's a very, it's a really particular American sense of personal empowerment. I doubt they feel this way around the world. But in America, we do. We feel like we are personally powerful. Well, we probably feel a little bit less that way today. We might have been humbled a little bit by the pandemic. We probably felt a little bit more powerful three years ago. Three years ago, we had no idea what was coming. And uh, you know, what's really interesting is we have no, we're, no idea where we're going either. In the last couple of weeks, I've been sucked into a number, reading a number of articles. Um, and the headline is always, medical expert predicts what's coming next. Have you seen those? Um, and they're very interesting to read, but they all have the same line in them, which is that medical experts admit, of course, that they have no idea. And we don't, we have no idea what's coming next. We hope that we get back to a normal, but maybe, maybe it's gonna be a different kind of a normal. We just have no idea. Well, COVID is an obvious fear. Um, there are other things, powerful forces, that we need to admit exist today. 
Um, let me just call a few to, recall a few to mind. Uh, internationally, there's more than likely about to be a war in the Ukraine, and it's likely to be the biggest armed conflict in Europe since World War II. This is a scary thing, um, and it will affect us in some way. Here at home, um, politically, we have fears, whether you're on the right, left, or in the middle, we have fears about where the country is headed. Uh, just financially, we probably have fears with inflation, hiring people, doing all sorts of things. When was the last time that you walked out of the grocery store and loaded your car and took a look at the bill and said, oh, this is less than I thought it would be? <laughs> it's, that's not the way it's going for me. And here's a, here's a big fear. Think about kids, your kids, your grandkids, and what kind of educational challenges they're facing now because of COVID. Um, are they home? Are they not? Are they online? And what is the ultimate effect going to be on them of these last couple of years? And maybe you're struggling with some sort of a health problem that isn't even COVID. Maybe it's something else, but it's out of your control. And let's not forget spiritual powers. In Ephesians 6, there's a verse that reminds us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's bigger than that. This is a fallen world, and it's full of contention. And the point is that it's easy to be frightened and the things that we fear are worthy to be feared. So let's look at application two, if we could, which is that in the face of fear, we are to believe God's promises. What if you'd been Abram with this allied army coming your way? We're gonna see his response soon and we're going to see that he relied on God's promises. In Genesis 12, God had told him he would be a great nation. Abram believed that. What about us? What can we fall back on? Well, God's covenant promises to us do not identically apply to us in the same way as to Abram. But we do have many, many promises. And we can see this in verses throughout the Bible, that we can rest on God's promises when we're overwhelmed. And I thought it might be kind of interesting. There are four verses that we have listed out here, and I thought it might be kind of interesting to read these in unison. So if we could go to the first verse, that would be great. Philippians 4, 6. Can you read this with me? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Psalm 23.4. We know this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Two more verses to go. That if you could read with me, that would be great. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the fourth verse is from, from Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, if we can stop for just a moment, I want to give just a little bit of a commercial for scripture memorization. Have any of you memorized any of these verses? Quite a few, which is, it's wonderful to have those that you can fall back on, that you can remember. Um, one of the best things that ever happened to me after I became a Christian was that someone persuaded Cindy, my wife, and I to be part of a navigator's class, which included memorizing 60 verses. And I had never done anything like that before, but it still stays with me. And I have a, I have a favorite fear go-to verse. It's from Isaiah 41, and it goes like this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the thing about memorization is, not only is it easy to go there, but when you go there often enough, you get to shorten it. Usually if I think about it and I remember I should go to that verse, I only go three, three words, do not fear. Because I have it in the rest of my head why I shouldn't. So, yeah, take the, if you ever have an opportunity to memorize scripture, please do that. Um, so in the place of fear, we should believe God's promises. Now, what if you're not a Christian? Uh, here are a couple of questions for you. One, does it bother you that we live in a world in which there are powerful people who can do whatever they want? Powerful people who make up their own rules and they never face justice. Well, the Christian answer to that is that yes, someday they will. Um, the Bible says that they will face God's justice. Question two for you. How do you respond when you're faced with overwhelming fear? Well, you have like, I, I thought about three options. If you're not a Christian, things that you can do, ways that you can live your life. One is to act, join a group, try to do something about it, and that's a good option. That really is. And uh, you should do it. But you should also remember that the world has powerful forces that are more powerful than you. And you need to be realistic about what exactly you're going to accomplish. A little bit is good, but you're not going to defeat on your own overwhelming forces. Another option that you have is just to live with it, to live with those overwhelming fears. And I think some of us know people who live in fear and it's as awful as it sounds. The third option is 
not to think about it. And I think that's probably the most common one is, I'm not gonna think about that today because I don't need to. And if you ask me about it, I would say that, well, things are gonna turn out. Uh, if you read much world history, you know that things don't usually turn out. So not thinking about it is not that helpful either. The Bible does have answers. And here's where we're gonna to get to our second big idea, which is that God's promises overwhelm all forces. And that takes us to the end of the story, to verses 13 and 14. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and Anner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, let's take a time out for a moment. Let's, let's think about the math. Let's think about the number 318. Now, if you think about it from one side, that's a lot. Um, Abram is an immigrant. He's trained these people up in his own home. 318 people in his household who he's trained to have military skills. Uh, that's impressive, and he's an impressive guy. Okay, let's look at 318 from the other side. 318 doesn't seem nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Not against King Cheddar and three allies. He's against four kingdoms. So let's see what happens, because it's kind of unlikely. Verses 15 and 16. And Abram divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Um, he divides his forces, Abram does. He defeats the allies. He pursues them and he takes back all that they had taken. It's unlikely. You're you would be hard-pressed to find any military textbook that would tell you that in the face of overwhelming odds, you should divide your forces. But this is what God can do. God fulfills his promise. And his promise, just to remind you, to Abram, was in Genesis 12, 2. And that is that he, God says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So despite the odds of 318 people versus four kingdoms, God wins. God always wins. And is that not true if you look at the gospel story? Think about the overwhelming forces that were allied against Jesus. First, you've got the religious leaders, and then you've got a lot of people. And you've got even his family sometimes. And then politically, you've got Herod, eventually the Roman Empire, and let's not forget Satan. 
And Jesus went into battle knowing that he would die, that he would give up his life to rescue us. And he did, because God always wins. His plan always wins. So let's look at application one. Believe God's promises. Uh, yes, you face powerful forces. And yes, you can hold on to that fear. Or you can believe God's promises. Application two. God will give us the ultimate victory even though we lose some battles today. Let's focus on the word ultimate. Because we do lose many daily battles, don't we? And that's important to remember. This is, this is a great chapter in Genesis, but we need to put up some guardrails to look at it correctly. Um, Abram, in this passage, wins a crucial battle. We're going to lose some battles too. Because Abram won this battle does not mean that we're going to win all our battles, and it doesn't mean that when we lose that God hasn't kept his promises. Abram, when he received the promise, took the long view because God gave him the long view that ultimately, eventually, he would be a nation. And we need to take the long view too because that's what God has given to us. But in the end, we have victory over Satan, over sin, over disease, over death. God overwhelms all evil forces. We're not undefeated, but God is. So let's, if you're not a Christian, let's go back to you for just a moment. This is a great story no matter what, Genesis 14. You got an underdog winning against some bad guys, a lot of bad guys. And if you could be any character in this story, who would you be? Well, I think Abram, of course. The rescuer who swoops in. It's like a it's like one of those movies, I'm shallow, I like them. They're special forces movies where a band of guys goes in and rescues everybody from a band of bad guys. Uh, that's Abram. He had 318 guys who he trained. But the truth is that the character who you're most like in this text is Lot. Uh, before and after this passage, passage, the Bible is clear about Lot. Lot has been trapped by his own bad, evil decisions. And he can't rescue himself. He can't rescue himself from being kidnapped here. He's powerless to do that. Um, you too are powerless. And I think in your heart, you probably know that, that you need to be rescued. The big news today is that there is a rescuer. Jesus is our rescuer, our only rescuer, and he is running after you. He is there, even today, wanting to rescue you. And you can call on him today and say, Jesus, I need to be rescued. I, 
I'm helpless on my own without you. Please help me. And Jesus will save you. He has saved others. He's, he saved Dave and Chris and Ricky, Jeremy, my wife and myself, many others here. He will save you. You just need to ask him. So for all of us then, if you're overwhelmed by very real forces, valid forces, real fears, we need to remember that God is undefeated. And that's our sermon in a sentence today, is that God will keep his powerful promises to us. He'll keep his promises to me, and he'll keep his promises to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this, this story in Genesis reminding us that we have a powerful God and that you are here always, that you fulfill your promises. You don't drop any of us. And we pray that in those times of trouble when we are overwhelmed by fears, we would remember your promises and remember that you are a God who keeps your promises. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.